You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 253 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast coming to you on March 8th. How are you doing this week, Raj? It's been an eventful week already. I could use Roger, it's Tuesday. I know. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> so I wasn't entirely sure what our subject was going to be this week, but that was completely derailed because there were two comics that were absolutely the talk of Twitter and a lot of the comics internet. When they came out last week, so I was like, well, this has to be what we're talking about. And it's only two comics, but hey, you know, Sometimes you got to have a smaller episode, maybe spend some more time talking about some other stuff, but we'll see where things go. And the first one is the new Black Widow comic from Chris Samney, Mark Wade, and Matthew Wilson. And seeing this issue, it's absolutely well deserved that Chris Samney got top billing on the title page. Did he? Yeah. Uh, Mark Wade notice. was still listed first on the cover because standard, but. Uh, yeah, Chris Samney got top billing on the actual title page of the issue because this is definitely an issue carried by the artist. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as plot, Black Widow stole something from S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. wants it back. That's it. It's 20 pages of Black Widow kicking the crap out of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And it's friggin' great. Like, Chris Samney is an artist I've had an interesting relationship with, if you will. A, a lot of his line art and like, his particular style doesn't work for me. But I mean, as we've seen here and in a lot of the other comics he's drawn, the dude knows how to make a comic page. His panel composition is always great. And as we see here, his flow and just as this is 20 pages of pure action and it never stops and he absolutely nails it at every possible point. Yeah, yeah, no, the art was was all right. My issue was with the fact that nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And see, this is this reminds me a lot of our conversation about Mad Max and how you are all right with just what it is, whereas I would have wanted so much more. And this is the same kind of thing for me because, frankly, if you're paying full price for this issue and all you're getting is Black Widow escaping. That's all that happened. Mm -hmm. To me, the as good as the art was, as good a job as he did conveying what's happening, it still feels like you're being ripped off because, again, nothing happens except for her getting away. The rest is just tons and tons of, whether it's her kicking ass or jumping out of freaking helicarriers, whatever, but it's still, I it, it wasn't enough for me. Right. And and remember, I was a massive fan of the last Black Widow series. And that just I think that's the biggest thing going against this, much like when uh, Jeff Lemire and I think it was Ramon Villalobos took over Hawkeye. It was good, but it couldn't hold a candle to Fraction Aja and Annie Wu. And it's the same thing here. No matter how good this is, that uh, Phil Notto and who wrote that again? I can't remember now. Yeah, because it was all about Phil Noto's art on that comic. It was so fantastic and unlike anything else and really hard to 
overstate how great it was as a you know an art form. It's it cannot compare. It was Ned Ed uh, or Nathan Edmondson. At least ah, uh, that was correct. some of it. I don't know if he did it all, but yeah. See, that was the thing. It's it was a fantastic series with a very powerful female lead character that gave us a great story for the said mm-hmm. female character and not just made her run around and kill people, you know, or take people out or whatever. So, again, I, I'm not knocking it too much, but we'll see what comes of it later on. And I understand that they may have wanted just to hit the ground running, mm-hmm. essentially and literally, so that they can get a fast story going for her. In which case, fine. But again, when you're paying as much as we pay for comics, when all you're getting is literally an escape scene, for me, it wasn't nearly enough. Right. Like, we've seen this in a lot of other comics and... You know, if it had been issue four or five or six or they – okay, well, this is just going to be our action issue. I think it would have been a little easier to kind of accept. But when it's the first issue and it's, you know, the big – like thematically, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's It sets the pace for the series. It sets the tone. But for – especially, like you said, bang for your buck, it, it does leave lacking. But I, I still want to give as much credit as possible to Samney for what he did. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. It, it's definitely deserving of praise. It's a lot like – um that Moon Knight comic we read last year where it was 20 pages of Moon Knight kicking everybody's ass. And yeah, that's all it was. There wasn't plot advancement, but it fit and it was okay. So as a single issue, as part of a larger story, I think it's okay. But for that to be the first issue of, and you know, having no plot development, it's, it's what we talked about with every single other Marvel. Number one, not much actually happened from a plot standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, it's it's hard to to really yeah. There's not there's not a lot to actually say about the comic. Yeah, there isn't. That's a thing because if you can have a silent issue, but more happens, then sure, that's that's fine. Um, but when it is quite literally just what we see here, and I, and I'm just speaking for me. I don't know if this was really highly regarded as again phenomenal, but for me, it was just like. It's just not enough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, like you're saying too, the art was really well done throughout. Like, and it does convey the, the emotion of every single scene. So again, when you, when you're breaking it down, there's definitely praise to be had. All it is for me is there just wasn't enough. Yeah. It, it's, it's really hard to talk about it when half the issue, the, you know, the art half was phenomenal. 10 out of 10, really nothing Nothing bad you can say about it, but the other half, the story side of it, it it told a story. Don't get me wrong. Just, you know, it was the story of an escape, not, you know, we don't know anything else about this comic from having read the first issue. Yeah. But the big one that really blew up last week was the second issue of Spider-Man from Brian Bendis, Sarah Pichelli, Gaetano Carlucci, and Justin Ponsor. And I'm going to split this up into several different discussion topics. The first of which is picking up where the last issue left off with Peter and Miles and Blackheart and the Avengers. And God, that was just great, great stuff all around. I love that. Again, it's that Peter with the, what did you do? (laughs) (laughs) And even with the hands out kind of, (laughs) and and yeah, I, I, 
It was, it was a big demon guy. A big red demon guy? No, it was black. Okay, good. I hate the red yeah, one. Right. Like, Bendis's dialogue is always so on point, and this is just more of what we've come to love. Yeah. And then the second plot point, I'm going to skip ahead, is in an issue that featured Blackheart, the son of the devil, if you will, the a demon from the pits of hell, Bendis was able to introduce an even scarier villain. And I absolutely loved the way those last couple pages played out, especially, again, Pichelli's artwork, especially when it comes to the characters, was fantastic of really driving through the fear of what it means when Miles' grandmother shows yeah. up. <laughs> that was awesome. When you just see him and his dad with, like, their eyes bugging out and the Spanglish comes in from off panel, that was phenomenal storytelling i loved i i started laughing immediately <laughs> I, yes yes i'm not gonna say that i can see this in your future but i can kind of see this in your future <laughs> yeah I, to the point where i took a picture of the last page and sent it to alicia and she's like oh yeah. <laughs> knowing nothing at all just the dialogue and the fun little twist on the overused face it tiger line i loved it <laughs> but oh god it was brilliant it, it, yeah <laughs> but then we have what the real meat of this issue was and that's uh centered around miles and ganky and this vlogger who's talking about what went down on fifth avenue and the revelation that this new Spider-Man is black and jumping on is like, oh, this is great. You know, we have a female Thor. We have a black Captain America. And now we have a black Spider-Man. Very meta commentary about this current state of Marvel and Miles line of I don't want to be the black Spider-Man. I just want to be Spider-Man there. In addition to great action, funny character moments, great family stuff. You have some pretty serious stuff sandwiched in the middle of this issue. See, I actually had I maybe I took it wrong, mm -hmm. but in terms of like the obvious meta like you're talking about it, to me it felt and and I don't know Bendis well enough to know how he feels about these things. I I wouldn't presume, mm -hmm. nor would I assume that he has a problem with the current addition of people of uh, different minority races and more women doing different things and all that. I, I don't assume he has a problem with that. However, from that meta and from reading it, I took it as the comic book writer taking a jab at the people who want diversity by making the diverse character saying, listen, I don't want to be the black super or the black Spider-Man. I just want to be Spider-Man. And it felt very much like the writer saying the race shouldn't matter, but it should. And that's why we keep wanting to introduce minorities and not have a bunch of white dudes in tights. So by the writer saying that it's a slap in the face to everybody who is pushing for minority inclusion and i say minorities but i mean a whole bunch of different things whether it's sexual orientation minority visible minorities women's you name it people with disabilities all of these things so yes we're being allowed and we want this to be important so by having the lead character saying it shouldn't be important it really felt like a backhanded slap from the writer to those of us who in addition to appreciating the writing in this 
also appreciated from the start that it was, in fact, a person of color underneath the mask. See, and that's where you get into a lot of the stickier parts of this and that, you know, Brian Bendis is a white dude. And that was a lot of the the feedback we got here of, is he the right guy to tell this story? Like, can he put himself in Miles, you know, headspace and properly tell the story the way, you know, a minority writer would? And this is actually something Bendis talked about on his Tumblr when somebody asked him about it. And he's like, listen, I know I'm about as white as white can be. But, you know, he's Jewish and he's seen a lot of prejudice in his life from that. And this is his words. This isn't me speaking for him. And he's a parent of a multiracial family. They've adopted a lot of uh, minority children, him and his wife. So he feels that, you know, this is a story he can tell. I, as the straight mid-30s white guy, I really can't have a lot of experience with storytelling like this because literally almost every piece of media you consume is created for me. So I can't put myself into that minority standpoint of what stories do I want to hear and who do I want them telling or who do I want telling them to me? So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of really complicated stuff here that I'm just not capable of really looking at the way I think it should be. Well, yes and no. I I feel that we we can look at it mm-hmm. and just be intelligent and use common sense about right. it. True. Now, certainly there's but, a but lot more. But I also more. can't see somebody else's opinion and go, hmm, I, I don't agree with that. No, no, no. Because I understand what you mean. They're speaking from their from their perspective and from their life experience, which in a lot of cases is very different from mine. Exactly. And no, I I, I that's what I was going to follow up with too. Like you. We don't have the breadth of experience to be able to fully argue one way or another, certainly. But when it comes to something like this, then you're damn right. We have the common sense that we can talk about it because, again, I go back to my statement. This was very much the writer using his main character to say the race shouldn't matter in a comic book when that's all we've been pushing towards for a while now. And we need to continue to push towards it so that the white old men dude force doesn't push back hard enough that we give up. So to me, it was jarring, very, very jarring Mm -hmm. and poorly done. And, And I'm not saying like a little poorly. I really took issue with this because of how I interpret it. Probably not how it was intended. I can say almost probably, almost positively, but that still is how I read it. Okay, if you're going to put something that's how that any work of art is, I oh, mean, yeah, you, can't, yeah. you can't control how people are going to interpret your message. Yeah. But when it's something that is that meta that you're putting in there mm-hmm. and you're putting these statements from him, that's kind of what you're saying. And so, yeah, I, I really had an issue with it. Yeah, and I can absolutely see that point of view. And I, what I really want is I want to hear more people's opinions about this. I mean, you guys know how to get a hold of us, Twitter, email. Uh, we'll list it all at the end of the show. But I, I really want to get a large, you know, kind of feeling of because you know, a lot of people, like the vast majority of people that I know that read comics, are like me. So I, I can hear the rumblings like around the edge. But 
a lot of the people I know who would relate to Miles don't read comics. So I, I personally, I want to know more about how people feel about this. And beyond just, well, it's a white guy writing it, so he has no rights. And I understand that point of view, especially because we've seen from both of the big companies such a big push to have more diverse comics and more diverse characters, but not more diverse creators. And that's something we've yeah. been talking about for years now. And yeah, great. Tanahisi Coates is writing Black Panther. It's a pretty short list after that. I mean, you can't you can't hold up one. And it's not until you get that full diversity in your creative teams and your editorial teams, more importantly. I mean, just look what uh, Sana Amanat has done, you know, fighting for titles like Ms. Marvel and, and a lot of those related stories. So it's it's such a complicated scenario and. We, we've said how we look at it, but more importantly, I want to know what other people think about it. Because I, I, I've searched and I've looked for some commentary and it, a lot of it boils down to, well, Bendis is a white guy, so who cares what he has to say? And it's entirely possible that's kind of the end of the discussion for a lot of people because they've been asking for you know this diversity for so long and they're still not getting it that honestly they really don't care what Bendis has to say about race relations and comics. And they're just kind of fed up at this point. And I know that's a, a point of view. A lot of people do have of, they have no interest in reading comics anymore, at, at least from the major companies, if they, they don't feel like they're represented amongst them. So I, please reach out to us. Let us know uh, what you thought of this comic. It's ironic because just last week as well, I was discussing on Twitter with someone about um, writing transgendered characters Mm -hmm. and about who should be the ones to to write that and whatnot and saying like they should have a transgendered person as long as they're out and it's you know something that they're comfortable with kind of thing put it in their hands so that we can get a real story out of it mm -hmm. kind of thing but that just doesn't happen because there's not enough diversity in the creative teams so and, and that's not to say only black people should write black characters only no, gay no, people should write no. gay characters that that's that's not what, what anybody is trying to say, but the discussion is also, you know, some black people should write black characters is a, is a pretty damn important thing. Before we can look at, okay, now we can start letting a whole bunch of other people write, whether it's black or whatever else, we need to have a precedence where there's been too much of black people writing black comic books <laughs> about black characters or women writing character, uh, female characters and stuff. We don't have any of that. So that's where that argument falls apart. So yeah, of course they can write them, but first we need a crap load more visible minorities and everything else writing comic books. There's mm -hmm. no reason not to do it. It's one of the things I look back to was, Oh God, it had to be probably, five years ago, I want to say, maybe even a little longer, when Victor Alvarez was introduced as the new Power Man. You know, Victor Alvarez is pretty much the same as Miles, half black, half Latino. And in his debut miniseries written by Fred Van Lenti, a white guy, I read a lot of commentary about what a fantastic job Van Lenti did, not just, you know, writing the comic itself and the character, but translating what it meant to Victor to be, you know, who he was both racially and as a superhero and what he meant to the community he grew up in. I read nothing but praise from 
people from all walks of life for the job he did. So it's not to say a white writer can't write a minority character very well. It's, again, when it's only, you know, middle-aged, straight white people that have the opportunity, we we can only have them talking to us about it so much so without without it just being kind of tiring. See, I have not had a problem with Bendis writing no, this character at all. Now, does that mean that there's obvious things that are off or that there's not enough of certain quite likely and like you said, we would not know. That whatever, I can't speak to that. But when it comes to something like this where there's a commentary inside that's point blank trying to again that it shouldn't matter when in fact it, it should. That's then where I start to have a problem. And, and like look at Ms. Marvel. How much of what Ms. Marvel has done for the character and for you know being Muslim has meant so much more because G. Willow Wilson herself is Muslim. And whenever she makes a commentary on that aspect of the character, it's something we can take seriously. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. Let's lighten it up a little bit, huh? For what we're reading this week, how caught up are you on Wayward? Oh, dude, I was looking at the... It's <laughs> looking at that literally today. My issue is going, I am so behind. It's embarrassing right now. Okay. I'm I'm not going to spoil any plot points because it's one of those comics where I, I need to go back and kind of reread some of it to, which is why I'm behind to like, uh, no, I I'm caught up, but I, I want to go back and read the issues again to see what more I can get out of them. Cause there's just so much going on in the story and it is getting to a very dark place to the point where I am legitimately concerned about the physical and emotional well-being about a lot for most of the main cast. I thought you were going to say Zub. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that's a testament to the great job Zub has done writing this because yeah. I am so attached to these characters. I care about them so much. Like I don't want to see harm come to any of them. And especially after the latest issue, issue 14, somebody's not having a happy ending and and it's going to be tough to swallow. And on one hand, I can't wait. (laughs) Like I want to see like what he's going to do to absolutely destroy me emotionally. But on the other hand, I, I don't want it to happen. Right. I I definitely need to get caught up. It's just that you get behind a few issues and then it's like, oh, crap, I'm going to need to go back and reread a few mm-hmm. just to get caught Especially up. Especially because Wayward like, is one of those comics that's so packed. Like it takes a while to read an issue. Yeah. Like there's just so much going on. And it's not to say it's like, you know, Claremont level dialogue, <laughs> but it, it's it's a comic that you really need to absorb and take your time with. Yep. So reading an issue isn't, you know, five minutes flipping through it. it you have to set aside a little chunk of time. I'm assuming you're caught up on Extraordinary X-Men, though. Was there an issue last week? No. It, it's been a few weeks since the last issue came out. Okay. But, I mean, it, we haven't actually talked about it. And it's been a lot. <laughs> That's all we, we've been talking about, every yeah, issue. Well, we, we've, we've referenced <laughs> it. And, and I I'm not even all that interested in the actual, like, discussion of the plot of the comic itself. But... It's frustrating, and this is this is what I've been talking about for so long. Where I'm really starting to become disillusioned with the big corporate comics because they told a fantastic story with Nightcrawler, with Storm and Jean kind of going into his head, and whew, 
God, poor Nightcrawler. Yeah. Stop, stop hurting the elf. I think taking <laughs> his tail was bad enough. Cut him some slack. <laughs> but then you also had this huge story of the X-Men going to Weird World and Sunfire with some refugees and all this stuff going on with magic and like this weird. There was so much story that happened over the course of two issues. It's really frustrating because I know there was more page count in there. Like neither story I felt reached the the level it deserved because they had to be done by whatever. I think it was issue eight because now they have the big crossover coming up. And, and, and I, when I read that last issue, when I finished it, I was like, I, I just felt like empty. Like I like something was taken from me because it the pacing of the story was not right. Like you could tell there was stuff ripped out of there just to be done on time and it it's it's really frustrating right uh especially with the weird world story there there seems like there was an entire issue missing from that story yeah yeah no i get what you're you're talking about it it was a lot faster paced in terms of how it told the story the way i looked at it wasn't that it wasn't – I didn't feel there was anything missing, but rather that there could have been more. Yeah. So I didn't feel bad about how it, it progressed. It, it, well, especially when you compare it to Lemire's previous writing, not just, you know, especially on X-Men, but in general. Like you know, we, we've come to understand like his his sense for the characters and you know where, where he wants to develop stories. And even on the short time he's been on here, like it just didn't feel right. Like, like knowing him, like there was more there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Lastly, I want to wrap up with Transformers because I have to talk about Transformers. They're going through where across the line, all their comics are hitting their big 50th issues, which is ridiculous when you think back on it. But again, it's testaments to the fantastic job IDW has done with their licensed comics. A lot of them are in that 50 to 60 range right now. With Transformers hitting 50, they are doing a big storyline calling back to when they first took over the Transformers franchise. One of the first stories they published was called All Hail Megatron, where the Decepticons literally took over Earth. And it was this huge, huge thing. And that has spun out into years of storytelling branching from that one story to the point where now they're bringing it back together with All Hail Prime. And even a lot of the artwork is very reminiscent of the All Hell Megatron, especially on the covers. But instead of, you know, Megatron standing over a crumbled city with the Decepticon flag, we have a more hopeful Optimus Prime with the Autobot flag and you know, people standing behind him. And it's cool because for the last several months, God, even longer than that, they've been building with all these different factions amongst the Autobots, amongst the Decepticons, amongst the humans. It, Alignments have been changing, loyalties, it's been all over the place. But building to this confrontation on Earth where Optimus Prime shows up with, you know, his group of badasses and goes, no, we're not doing this again. Earth is under my protection. And to the point where, like, he enacts, like, these intergalactic laws and, like, all kinds of crazy. So you look at it from, you know, that heroic point of view of, oh, this is the hero character showing up and setting things right. But they've spent so much time with all the other groups that are working for and against this that from literally everybody else's perspective, Prime does not look like the hero. And it's excellent storytelling because you have 
you know, the Decepticons, you know, there's multiple factions of the Decepticons looking at it of this is what we've been talking about. This is what we've been fighting for for millions of years. You know, he's overstepping his bounds. He's, you, you know, using this intergalactic law as a weapon against us. You know, he he doesn't care about Earth. He cares about defeating us. And, and then you have the human point of view of we don't want these jerks on our planet. Like he's not here to save us. You know, we, do, we don't want his help. And, and just and it goes from group to group to group. And it's such great storytelling that when you can make Optimus Prime one of the most heroic characters in modern fiction in my eyes and question if he really is the hero of the story. Even I am asking that question. Great storytelling. I can't say I can't praise it enough. I'm still not reading it. I know you're not. <laughs> I know I can't make you. All I can do is keep telling people about the fantastic job they're doing with storytelling that transcends the genre and the license, but I know you're never going to listen to me. Nope. What have you been reading? All right. New series from Image, The Discipline. Have you seen this? I, I saw it I, and I forgot to check it out. <laughs> from Peter Milligan and Leandro Fernandez. And I love Peter Milligan and Fernandez. This is oh, really? I'm going to have to bleep that out. I don't care. I'm, <laughs> I may even leave it in there. It is crap. <laughs> no, I didn't like it. I mean, it's romanticizing a sexual assault. There's mm-hmm. The lead woman is treated just like a blow-up doll. There's The imagery is fairly striking, and I don't mean that in a good way. And it's not like I'm a prude for Christ's sakes, but when you have somebody, this demon thing spitting on her face and it's made drawn to look like a facial. Yeah. There's a lot of really stupid, stupid crap in this. So it's really disappointing. Not, not, not good <laughs> at all. Uh, meanwhile, bitch planet latest mm-hmm. one. It's freaking awesome. Uh, although quite a bit, not with the lead characters, but with the people mm-hmm. running the jail and everything. But that's just as important in a lot of ways. Nah, eh, they're not as interesting. <laughs> no, they're, they're not remotely <laughs> not as even. interesting. But the more time we spend with the people in power, the more we grow to hate. You yeah, know, there this is that. World oh, God, and this yeah. future, and it yeah. makes the struggle of the main characters that much more powerful. Uh, how about some Batman? DK3? <laughs> I'm still... I'm I, I, I still haven't punishment. even looked at a single issue of that. Yeah, I... This wasn't as bad as the other two. I'm really curious what people think about this. If if we're all in the same boat where we're scratching our heads going, what the hell are you trying to do here? I know very few people that are even reading it. And at best, they're eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I think when issue three came out, they're like, oh, yeah. Why am I still reading this? Yeah, because you're reading it and going like, what? You're trying too hard. Like, way too hard. Eh, but whatever. Meanwhile, Batman Beyond, still awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, really digging what's going on there. And, oh, yeah. And uh, I like that the that just, uh, the Justice League Beyond has been kind of flipped on. So that was kind of cool. I, I, I'm i still digging that. Not as much again still as last mm-hmm. series, but it's picking up. It's good. I enjoy it. It's picking up right when it's about to be canceled and rebooted. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> it, it, it's really it, knowing where it's going. It's hard to get into any of the DC stuff. I agree. I agree completely. And finally, I got caught up on Saga. I was a couple of issues mm. behind, so I got caught up. 
Are last issue to, was really good. I are, really enjoyed the last issue. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of starting to wane on it. Hmm. I don't know if it's been going on long enough and there's so many other things to read, if that's why or what, but it was kind of like, eh, whatever. I mean, especially you look back to what Saga started, what, three years ago? Maybe uh, a little longer because yeah. of their publishing yeah. schedule. And when that burst onto the scene, it was, you know, triumphant. And it's to the point now where everybody's caught up. <laughs> like Saga isn't doesn't have that lead in storytelling. And I, I know you have your thoughts on this and we're going to let that slide. But in the greater perception of comics, it, the, the pack has caught up. Yeah. So it, it doesn't stand out as much as it used to. No, no. And, and it's I don't think it's even just that. But also just the story. Mm-hmm. They're at a place with the story where I don't care. I really genuinely don't care about any of the characters. So that's that's kind of why. I'm almost at a point where I'm ready to clock out on it. See, I, I'm still invested. Yeah. No, I'm not at all anymore. So all that's right. it for me. All right, then. This week's new releases. Got a bunch of good stuff from Marvel. We have all new Wolverine number six. Have you still been reading that? No, actually, I stopped. All right. Amazing Spider-Man number nine, Doctor Strange number six, Guardians of the Galaxy number six, Mighty Thor number five, Mockingbird is getting her miniseries starting with issue one, Ms. Marvel number five, Rocket Raccoon and Groot number three, Spider-Man Deadpool number three, and Weird World number four. Solid lineup from DC this week as well. Action Comics number 50, Batman and Robin Eternal number 23, Batman Superman number 30, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 4, Detective Comics number 50, Gotham Academy number 16, and Green Lantern Corps Edge of Oblivion number 3. Aside from that, it's a pretty light week. All I have from Image is Descender number 11, and from IDW, Star Trek number 55, and Transformers More Than Beats the Eye number 50. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com. As I said earlier, really interested in other people's opinions on that issue of Spider-Man. So you can leave us a comic there at the website. You can hit us on Twitter at CB Informer. And you can even email us, either Vince or Raj, at comicbookinformer.com. So please, please let us know what you thought. That's all for us this week. So until next week, thanks for listening. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. 